he's uh, well known. Uh, he's a, uh, a great leader, a, a teacher of leadership. He's an author, speaker, and you'll, you'll, you'll hear him today. Uh, he blessed us last night. He was at our, our team night. Once a month, I gather our team together, and, uh, and I usually teach. And, and twice a year, we invite other pastors to come and be a part. And usually, I'll have somebody in to speak at that event. And, uh, and we held a seminar last night. It was fabulous, just fabulous. Uh, you did a great job. I know it's because Lisa was here, and she encouraged you and, and, uh, and that type of thing. But, uh, but uh, Tony, uh, he's... I've, been under him. I've, I've sat under him for years and years and years, uh, like years and years and years, back in the 90s, early 90s, and uh, until to, till this day. I, I, I hear him speak, and uh, I'm with him on usually a yearly basis. And uh, so today, uh, I want to introduce to you uh, Reverend Tony Cook. So stand to your feet, and let's give him a big Church on the Move welcome. And his lovely wife, Lisa. Amen. God bless you, sir. Thank you, Pastor Marvin. Appreciate it so much. Thank you. Well, man, it is so good to be with you. My first time, our first time in Tyler. Uh, we've never really been out this way, but it's so good to be here. And we've so enjoyed getting to see the good work here at, at Church on the Move and spend time with Pastor Marvin and Patty. You guys are doing an awesome job. We really appreciate you guys. And um, just so you'll know a little bit, I, my wife and I both grew up in north central Indiana. Uh, we got married when I was 20, and we moved immediately to Oklahoma and to attend Bible school. We've been there ever since. We're, we're going to be celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary in June of this year. And uh, we spent many, many years on staff at Rama Bible Training Center in Tulsa. And um, in 2002, we felt led by the Lord to begin traveling. And God gave us a real simple assignment, strengthen churches and leaders. And uh, so that's taken us to 35, uh, 31 nations and 47 states. And we put out a number of books that are used as curriculum in a lot of churches and Bible schools. And we just love what we do. Um, really quickly, we'll just show you a couple pictures to give you a quick idea about what we do. Um, we have a picture here of some of the nations that we've been to. If um, I think that's going to be popping up in just a second. And uh, anyway, there they are. And uh, last year, I spent 81 days out of the nation. This year, uh, we have at least 70 days, actually more than that. We have a 35-day trip to Africa, the Middle East, and Europe. And then we have a August and September, we have a 35-day trip to Brazil. And uh, so, but we love what we do. It's so much fun. And uh, books, we uh, have books here that... Um, uh, the stack on the left are the foreign translations in uh, nine different languages, and uh, they're used in Bible schools in various nations. And then the final picture we have are just the books that we have in English, and uh, all of those are out at our table. I'm going to be speaking to you today from one of these books in particular that is called Through the Storms. And to be honest, it's a message I wish I didn't have to preach at all, because I wish we didn't have any storms. I wish there was no adversity in life. I wish, you know, we just, you know, I wish we were already in heaven. Wouldn't that be nice? Just no problems, no difficulties. But, you know, how people handle and process problems through life is going to be really um, affected by who they think God is. 
you know, some people think God is the author of all the bad things and that God is sending, you know, nasty things into people's lives and, and things of that nature. And, and so, um, but some people also think, well, if we have faith, you know, we shouldn't have any problems. And, uh, boy, I wish that were the, were the case. Um, faith is based on the word of God. And so, um, when we look at the Bible, I'll just share with you one verse in the Old Testament, one verse in the New Testament. Um, and again, part of these uh, we don't like uh, because it reveals the uh, reality that we live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, uh, we are going to face some challenges from time to time. Um, Psalm 34 and verse 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And if you have a handout with you, that's uh, on your handout. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I don't like that verse, do you? You know, I wish, I wish we didn't have to face any of those things, but the second part of it is very good, and that is, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I like that part a lot. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And so, um, you know, sometimes we think, you know, uh, we wrestle with even the term righteous. What does that mean? And um, some people think that righteousness is based on perfection, you know, being a perfect person, but it's not. Uh, Righteousness is based on a gift that God gives us through the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus, aren't you thankful he went to the cross died for our sins, shed his blood, rose from the dead so that we could be born again, have eternal life. So when the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, this is saying even when you're in right standing with God, the reason I'm sharing this is because some people think, well, if you're a righteous person, you'll never face a problem. But that's not realistic. That's not true. And it's not biblical. Now, some people may think, wow, if the righteous face many afflictions, well, I'll just be unrighteous. No, that doesn't work. (laughs) You'll, You'll have even more problems seriously in most cases because the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. If you think obeying God and living a righteous life create some problems for you. Just try being unrighteous and living an ungodly life. It, it, you, and, and, and then you don't have the, um, you know, the situation where uh, God is right there to help you. He'll, he'll help you get out of the problems, but um, it's just a whole lot better doing life God's way. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And then a verse in the New Testament that kind of correlates to that is John 16, 33. Uh, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is the source of peace for our lives? He is the prince of peace. And I'm telling you what, in the world that we live in today, if you're looking to anyone or anything other than Jesus as your source of peace, you're probably going to be very disappointed. Because the Bible says that everything in this world, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But we have an everlasting foundation. Uh, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace... And then he makes this statement, kind of a contrasting statement. In the world, you will have tribulation. 
in the world, you will have tribulation. Now, that word tribulation just means, you know, adversity, challenges. And how many of you know we live in a fallen world? Things in this world are not the way that God originally created them. Um, I'm not saying that every time that we face a problem, it's because of sin in our life, because that's not true. Uh, but we just live in a fallen world where there's all kinds of things that are, are not the will of God. That's why Jesus said one of the things we're to pray is that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If it automatically was, there'd be no need to pray along those lines. But we live in a fallen world. There's lots of problems, lots of junk, lots of garbage, lots of stuff down in this world that, that hurts people, that is a source of pain. And Jesus just said, I, I've spoken words to you so that in me you can have peace. In the world, there is tribulation. But notice the last part of this. Again, it's good. He says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So whatever adversity, whatever challenges you face in this world, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Jesus has overcome. Jesus is our conqueror. Jesus is our victor. We have the greater one on the inside of us. But here's what we learn from both Psalm 34, 19 and John 16, 33. We live in a fallen world. Even righteous people are going to face many afflictions. Even righteous people are going to face different, uh, what Jesus said, tribulation, just adversities, problems, challenges. But we have the promise that whatever we face, God will be faithful. God will deliver us. And that Jesus has given us words so that we can have peace in this fallen world and so that we can know that he actually is the conqueror of everything. So, you know, a lot of Christians, unfortunately, operate in what I call uh, wishful thinking. And they think that wishful thinking or hyper-idealism, they think that wishful thinking is the same as faith. And it's not. Wishful thinking says, I will never face a problem. How many of you know that's wishful thinking? Um, you know, I, Brother Hagen was praying for a group of people in a prayer line one time. And uh, he stopped and asked this individual, how can I pray for you? And the person said, oh, I want you to pray for me that I'll never face a problem from the devil. And Brother Hagin said, oh, so you're wanting me to pray that you'll die. <laughs> and the per oh, no, no. And Brother Hagin said, hey, the only place there's no problems is heaven. And, um, uh, you know, so this person was really operating in the realm of wishful thinking. Wishful thinking says, I will never face a problem, but faith says, no matter what comes, my God is bigger. No matter what comes, my God is greater, and he's big enough, God is big enough to see me through. Now, having said that, just as kind of an introduction, our message today is called Through the Storms, and we understand that there are natural storms in life. Um, you know, Texas and Oklahoma, we, we get a few tornadoes, and I don't know what you get. East Texas, do you guys get many? Not, not as much, maybe, but, um, you know, you go further over to the coast, and you get some hurricanes, you know, from time to time, and hurricanes and tornadoes are kind of two different kinds of storms. 
and I have a brother that lives in Minneapolis, and they get blizzards, you know, and um, just naturally speaking, from a weather standpoint, storms are different. We live in Tulsa, and that's considered part of Tornado Alley, and, you know, we get tornadoes coming through there once in a while, and, you know, Lisa has never called, you know, Tony, hey, there's a tornado on the ground, and I'm up in my office, and I've never said to her, honey, no worries, I've got a snow shovel in the garage. If one comes, it'll be fine. You know, because snow shovels don't do anything against tornadoes. Um, you know, blizzard, it might be helpful, but, you know, we understand, this is the point I'm making, we understand that in the natural, there are different kinds of storms. And spiritually speaking, or biblically speaking, there are different kinds of storms. Not all storms of life are the same. Uh, naturally speaking, you know, different storms happen at different times under different conditions. And biblically speaking, spiritually in our lives, you, are, you may face adversities or different types of problems. that they, they're, One size doesn't fit all. They're not all the same kinds of storms. And so I want to talk to you about three biblical storms. And the first storm I want to talk to you about is the storm of Jonah. Everybody remember Jonah from Sunday school? Makes great story for kids, you know. Uh, Jonah had an assignment uh, from God. And his assignment was to go preach in a place called Nineveh. Now, most people, if, if they went to Sunday school as a little kid, they remember that, that Jonah went to Nineveh, but they don't know where Nineveh was. And, and they know that when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, did he want to go or did he not want to go? He did not want to go. He wanted to go. He, he got on a boat. You know the story. He got on a boat to run away from God. And do you remember the name of the place he was trying to go? place called Tarshish. Well, I want to show you a map here to show you what this real journey really looked like. Jonah was here at point A. You see letter A there, Israel. Nineveh is actually modern-day Mosul, Iraq. If you followed much of the war in that part of the world where ISIS was, just up until about a year and a half ago, uh, ISIS was occupying Mosul. And that was Nineveh in biblical days. So God told Jonah to go to point B here, Nineveh, and Jonah instead gets on a boat and goes, heads toward point C, which is Tarshish. What does that mean? He was getting as far away from God as he possibly could. Now, if you don't study the history and the background of it a little bit, you don't know why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. But let me just give you an example of why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were bitter enemies of Israel. As a matter of fact, they were bitter enemies of everybody. And they had a, a reputation for being very cruel. And they would torture people and murder people in the most you know, horrible ways. And, and they were a great threat to Jonah's people, Israel. And they were considered the enemies. And so when God told Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach, 
it would be like this. Let's say we're back a couple years ago when, um, Mo, when ISIS was still occupying Mosul, modern-day Nineveh. And let's say the word of the Lord comes to pa- Pastor Marvin and, and tells Pastor Marvin to catch a flight to Baghdad and rent a car to Mosul and walk up and down the streets of Mosul telling ISIS to repent. That's really exactly the same scenario. Now, would you want to go to Spain also? If <laughs> you know, um, so Jonah, he run. What is he doing? He's running away from God. He's running away from a missionary assignment is what he's really doing. And you know the story how that when he gets on the boat heading across the Mediterranean, we don't know how far off he got from Israel coast, but um, this great storm comes and Jonah tells all the men on that boat, I'm running away from God. Well, they have enough common sense to think, well, we're not going to drown because of him. And they throw him overboard and a great fish comes and swallows him. And what that did was it gave Jonah some time to think. You get swallowed by a fish. I love what Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 says. It says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I don't know about you, but that sounds really gross to me, being in the belly of a fish. And it says, then, the next verse says, then Jonah prayed. We're getting a good word of wisdom right here. Say that again. Say it real loud. See, that's a brilliant step. I would have prayed, you know, as soon as, yeah, as soon as I feel that fish's mouth close around me, I'm like, God, forgive me. But isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, then Jonah prayed. He did not want to go to Nineveh. Do you know why he didn't pray for three days and three nights? Because he knew that God was going to tell him, Jonah, you got to do what I told you to do. Can you say the word stubborn? I know nobody here has ever been stubborn. But Jonah was. And, and, but it, if you really take time to read all this, read Jonah chapter 2, his prayer. Really is a powerful prayer. And what he does in that prayer is he repents. And what he does is he says, God, I will fulfill my vows to you. See, at one time, Jonah had vowed to God complete obedience. And he walked in that until God told him to do something that he didn't want to do. Can I tell you something? Obedience is easy as long as it's something you want to do. But what do you do when God tells you something that your flesh doesn't want to do? And Jonah, man, he, he ran the other way. So here's a simple statement. This is what a Jonah storm is. Jonah got into his storm because of disobedience. And he got out of his storm through repentance, turning back to God. 
surrendering himself to God again. Now, what we really need to understand, well, one thing we need to understand, as soon as Jonah repented, God got him out of the fish. And you know what God said to Jonah again? Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh. See, God's pretty determined about us obeying him. And even when we mess up, when we get back on track, God gives us another chance. Aren't you thankful that God is a God of second chances? Sometimes third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. Um, and, And Jonah then went ahead and obeyed God. But Jonah got into his storm because of disobedience and he got out of his storm through repentance and then even consecration to doing the will of God. Now let me tell you where there's a problem. The problem is is that most Christians kind of know already that you can get into trouble because of disobedience, being out of the will of God. And here's the problem. Most Christians then assume that every time that a Christian is having a problem, it's because of disobedience in their life. Are you listening to me? They And see, some Christians, if they have a problem, the first thing they do, oh God, where did I sin? Where did I miss it? Am I out of the will of God? See, some people think every storm is a Jonah storm. Some Christians... When they're having a problem, they won't tell anybody at church. And I'm not talking about this church, but just because some churches are full of kind of judgmental people. And they think, man, if I tell the people down there I'm having a problem, they're going to they're gonna think I'm in sin. They're going to accuse me of being in disobedience and things like that. And see, that really should not be our position at all. One person said it this way. He said, we're not here to see through people. We're here to see people through. We should be supportive and helpful and encouraging, not quick to condemn. And we shouldn't assume that every time somebody has a problem, it's because there's sin in their life. And that brings us to our second storm that illustrates this very well, and that is the storm of the disciples, because not every storm is a Jonah storm. The storm of the disciples takes place in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus had been preaching all day long at the Sea of Galilee, he'd been preaching on the seashore. And Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says, On the same day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him, they took Jesus along in the boat. Remember, some of his disciples were fishermen. They had a boat there. They put Jesus in the boat. Uh, just as he was, and other little boats were also with him. So he is in a pretty good-sized boat. And it says in verse 37, And a great wind storm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling or filling up with water. Now, here's the scenario. Jesus has preached all day long. He's tired. And he says to the disciples, I want to go to the other side of the lake. So they put, well, they step away from the crowd of people and they put Jesus in the boat and they start heading across to the other side. And then a storm hits. Okay, now question, are the disciples being obedient? Were they following Jesus' instructions? 
Jesus said, I want to go to the other side. So they put him in the boat and they had, I think they're in perfect obedience. But a storm came. Totally different than Jonah. Jonah was being disobedient when the storm came, got him thrown in the water. The disciples were being perfectly obedient. Do you know what that tells us? Great theological deduction. Problems can come when you're out of the will of God or in the will of God. We're in a fallen world. So a great windstorm arises and the waves are beating into the boat. It's already filling with water. But Jesus was in the back of the boat, the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So here's what we want to see about this. The disciples got into their storm in the midst of perfect obedience. But how did they get out of the storm? They got out of the storm through Jesus using what we call spiritual authority. Speaking to the storm, commanding it to stop. Let me tell you three things Jesus did not do here. To me, this is very interesting. Number one, Jesus did not pray. I'm not against prayer. Jesus prayed a lot in other situations. But here, when Jesus got up, he didn't say, wow, we're having a problem. We need to have a prayer meeting. Just not in this case. Many times he did pray. But here he got up and he spoke. He didn't talk to God. He talked to the problem. Did you know that one of the key elements of living a successful life is you need to learn to talk to things. You need to learn to talk to circumstances, talk to situations. And, 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 and the reason Jesus could do that is because he had already prayed. He was already full of the word. And Jesus got up, he spoke the word and commanded the storm to stop. Number one, Jesus did not pray. Number two, Jesus did not assume that one of the disciples had sinned. Did you notice that? Jesus didn't stand up and see the storm and then turn around to the disciples and say, all right, which one of you guys has been using cuss words again? Which one of you guys has been, you know, thinking bad thoughts and, you know, you know, he didn't get up and start grilling them about what kind of sins they might have committed. He didn't assume that this storm came because of one of his disciples' sins. And here's a third thing that Jesus did not do. Jesus did not submissively submit, passively submit to the storm. Some people think, and it's very contrary to the New Testament, some people think, well, whatever happens in your life, God sent that your way to teach you a lesson. Jesus didn't act like that. He didn't say, well, maybe God sent this problem to teach us to be more patient or to teach us a lesson or to make us more humble. And so let's just sit down. Let's just let happen whatever happened. See, Jesus 
he's the one that said, there's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. James later said, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Uh, Jesus, he didn't pray. He didn't say that, well, one of the disciples sinned. He didn't say, well, we should accept this storm as a gift from God. Jesus just got up and rebuked it, spoke to it, commanded it to stop. And the amazing thing was it obeyed him. So Jonah got into his storm because of disobedience, but the disciples got into their storm in the midst of perfect obedience. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not all storms are the same. One size doesn't fit all. Jonah got out of his storm through repentance, but Jesus got out of his storm, the disciples, through spiritual authority, speaking the word. There's a third storm in the Bible that I want us to look at, and that's a storm involving the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 27, verse 9, I need to give you a little background on this one. Paul had been arrested. He got arrested many times. And what was Paul normally arrested for? Preaching the gospel. And once again, this happened back in Jerusalem in Acts 21. He got arrested. He was in the temple, really minding his own business, but they arrested him anyway. And um, so he spends time in prison in, in Jerusalem, and then they move him over to the coast, to Caesarea in, in, in Israel, and he's in prison there for a couple of years And he has these little trials before Festus and Felix and Agrippa. And finally, Paul realizes, man, this this is a, I'm not going to get a fair trial here. There were too many religious, you know, uh, uh, prejudices against him. And so Paul, because he's a Roman citizen, he's, he's a Jewish man, but he's also a Roman citizen. He appeals his case to Caesar. So now it's the Roman authorities' responsibility to take Paul all the way from Israel to Rome. So this is going to involve a ship journey across the Mediterranean. Now remember this, Paul had already experienced shipwreck three times. It wasn't really safe to travel with Paul. <laughs> uh, and travel was more dangerous back then. But, but in Acts chapter 27, verse 9, it says, it says they had made it out to the island of Crete. So they made it a third of the way maybe. And it says, and Paul advised them. Well, let me just explain this. When you're a prisoner, nobody wants your advice. When you're a prisoner being transported from one location to stand. They don't want your advice, but Paul advised them. Well, what was his advice? He said, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Let me ask you a question. Here's a prisoner how is he perceiving that this voyage is going to end with disaster and much loss? 
is he is he an expert merit mariner? No. Is he a, 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 a trained meteorologist? No. How is Paul perceiving that there's danger? The Holy Spirit. He's got a leading, he's got a witness from the Holy Spirit that, hey, we'd better not sail. Now, how many of you know that when a man of God speaks, everybody listens? Well, no, it didn't happen that way. (laughs) Verse 11 says, after Paul gives this warning, it says, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the, th- by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. How many of you know the majority is always right? Nope, that's not true either. You have one man hearing from God You have everybody else wanting to do something else. And so what do they do? They overrule Paul. They just blow him off. They ignore him and they set sail. But here's the deal. Paul's a prisoner. He has no choice in the matter. Even though he knows this is wrong, he's going along. He doesn't have any choice. Now, what happened? Well, when they set sail from Crete, they had a few hours where it just looked like beautiful, gorgeous weather. Man, the sun is shining, and everybody was probably thinking, Paul didn't know what he was talking about. But then the weather changed. And long story short, here's what happened. They got in a storm that lasted for two solid weeks. 14 days, you read the book of Acts chapter 27, 14 days and 14 nights, horrible, horrible. I mean, they were throwing everything overboard, cargo. I I don't know how many of you have been like out deep sea fishing off Galveston or something, but being on a ship that is just being tossed, Lisa and I, one time we led a group to... Um, the biblical sites around the Mediterranean. We've done that a handful of times, but we in particular, we had a little boat that took us, a group of us, about 25, from um, Ephesus out to the island of Patmos. It was a four-hour drive, a uh, cruise little thing, and um, pretty small boat, horrible waves and weather... Everybody on our boat was, well, Lisa wasn't. She just acted like it was a big, fun roller coaster. But everybody else on the ship was sick and throwing up overboard. And, I mean, it was miserable. We were in it for four hours. And, man, everybody thought they were going to die. And here's Paul and his group. They're in it for 14 days and 14 nights. Seemed like an eternity. Look at Acts chapter 27, verse 20. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. See, you can go, you can go through a certain type of problem and because it goes on and on and on, it, it, it will try to rob you of your hope. Do you know the Bible says the hope deferred 
Meaning that when you want something to happen, and it just never, 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 it makes the heart sick. The Bible says all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me. Isn't that sweet? Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve saying, don't be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. I think that's amazing. Men, you should have listened to me. How do we say that today? I told you so. Now, husbands and wives, I know you have a marriage seminar coming up. Maybe you don't want to use that with your wife or with your husband, but Paul did it. Paul did it. So what, what can happen? See, Paul, you know, he's trying to get to Rome, but, but he had this storm come up and create this huge hindrance. And um, what could have happened in that time? Number one, Paul could have gotten angry at God and blamed God for it. Number two, Paul could have lost hope and entered into despair with everybody else. And number three, and I think this may have been one of the real challenges Paul faced, he could have held resentment against the people who put him in that position. But instead, Paul was praying for them. Paul was praying for the people that put him in that situation. That's why the angel said, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Do you know how much character and grace that took for Paul to pray for the people who put him in the situation because they didn't listen to him? So here's the bottom line on Paul's storm. Paul got got into his storm because of the disobedience of others. And he got out of his storm through persevering faith or persistent faith. I don't know about you, but I I would like every situation in my life to turn out like happened with Jesus when he just said, peace, be still, and immediately there was a great calm. How many of you prefer the instantaneous, you know? And and boy, I would like to do, you know, in my final moment of this message, I'd like to say, now let me tell you how to always get it to happen immediately. (laughs) That would be a great final point for today. But see, I have to look at the Bible and say, hey, Jesus got an immediate situation. That's great. How many of you have ever seen an immediate miracle or an immediate answer to prayer? Let me see your hand. Several people have. I I have. But I've also had situations where, uh, you know, there was this Paul type of situation where it was, it took some time. And, and the important thing, you know, I, I can't always control the timing of certain things. I sure wish I could. But, but here's, what, here's what I know from these stories. There are three different kinds of storms. And they came for Jonah got into his storm because of disobedience. 
the disciples got into their storm in the midst of their perfect obedience and Paul got into his storm because of the disobedience of other people. Jonah, he got out of his storm through repentance. The disciples got out of their storm through spiritual authority and speaking the word with boldness. And Paul, he simply got out of his storm by persevering faith. But see, we go back to this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. God will give you the wisdom. And and listen, I would like to tell you everything that you'll ever face in life fits neatly, perfectly into one of these three categories. I'm not even saying, but, but what I do hope you're seeing is that, hey, there are different kinds of storms. And, there, and God will give you wisdom how to get out of your particular situation and get through it. Let me share this in closing. A lady came up to me when I had preached this message and she said, Brother Cook, you know, I enjoyed that message, never thought about the three different kinds of storms. That helps me. But she said, what do you do when you're in all three storms at once? And I, man, I'd never, ever thought about that. And she said, you know, there's one area of my life where I just totally made a wrong decision. I just, I, you know, I knew it was wrong, but I just wanted to do that. And I just did it. And, and, and man, it turned around and bit me bad. And, and she said, I'm in a Jonah storm. That's my own fault. You know, I'm dealing with consequences that are my own fault. And she said, there's another area where I tried to obey God and do the right thing. And then all kinds of problems happened because I did the right thing. And she said, and there's this third area of my life where somebody I love made a bad decision. I'm dealing with the consequences of their disobedience. She said, what do you do when you're dealing with all three storms at once? <sighs> I said, ma'am, first of all, my heart's with you. I know, I know God loves you and he's, he's going to help you and give you wisdom. But I said, all I know is to tell you to repent like Jonah, speak the word like Jesus and persevere like Paul. If, if you're getting hit from every angle, then you just need to use every spiritual weapon, all the wisdom. You know, you, sometimes you have to fight battles on more than one front. But I said, God loves you. He cares about you. He's not the author of anything that's come into your life to steal, kill, and to destroy. Jesus has come into your life to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. There are many afflictions that come against the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him all, uh, him out of them all. And in the world, you will have tribulation, but Jesus has spoken words to give you peace and he has overcome this world. Father, I pray for your people today that you'll give them wisdom, that you'll give them grace, that, Father, today will be a day of strength and encouragement for them. And that, Lord, I pray protection and blessing, deliverance and healing over every life and over every family. And, Lord, I declare this in the name of Jesus, that no weapon formed against your people will prosper, but you will give them victory in every area of life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said.